Welcome to the For Your Soul Podcast, a podcast for your soul. Welcome to the For Your Soul Podcast, a podcast for your soul in which we desire to equip the church with sound doctrine and biblical truth. I am your host, Mills Quintanilla, and today I am concluding my series on Joseph Prince, on leaving Joseph Prince in the prosperity gospel, in which my two friends from Singapore, Man and Myra, they shared a story about how they got involved in the prosperity gospel and how they've come to know sound doctrine. And today we're going to be just covering briefly on some of Joseph Prince's main core teachings, also like how how, how does he connect with his con- congregation? You know, because I think for a lot of times, you know, we have people in church, you know, a lot of everyone has their struggles, right? So like a lot of people in church, maybe they need pastoral counseling or prayer or whatever, you know, sometimes they'll request a meeting with their pastor. And, and you know, and today we'll be cu- touching on that topic. Like if Joseph Prince is someone who is, what would, what would you say, uh, accessible to the congregation. And then we'll, and then, and that's pretty much, what we'll be covering today, uh, Amanda and Myra, as always, thank you again once for joining me. So starting off, I want to touch on the teaching of hypergrace. So I know hypergrace is something that I've heard. I've heard many times when it comes to Joseph Prince, like even when I did not know much about Joseph Prince at all, but whenever I would hear his name come up, I would always hear hyper 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 grace associated with him all right so let me ask you this how would you define hyper grace yeah okay so to understand hyper grace we have to first understand grace so you know grace is an attribute of god now what is an attribute so recently i've just concluded you know my reading of the book the attributes of god so there are two Mm -hmm. volumes to this book it's by aw tozer I think he's pretty, you know, uh, a known name in Christendom, yes. right? Uh, so more specifically, you know, Tozer actually defined what attribute means in chapter one of volume two of the attributes of God. So he actually defined attributes as such. God's attributes, uh, so I'm quoting from Tozer, right? God's okay. attributes are not God. That is, I say that God is self-existent. So self-existent is an attribute of God, but that's something that I posit about God that isn't God. I say that God is holy. So holy being another attribute of God. But holiness is not God. I say that God is wisdom. So here again, wisdom is yet another attribute of God. But wisdom is not God. God mm. is God. Would you like a definition of attribute as I shall use it? It is something which God has declared to be true of himself. An attribute of God is something we can know about God. It is knowing what kind of God God is, end quote. So grace is an attribute of God. God is a God of grace, but grace is not God. Mm-hmm. I think one thing Joseph Prince gets very wrong is that he, he has this tendency to equate God equals to grace. Mm. So he elevates the attribute of grace and makes that attribute of grace God. That's to go unfortunately, way off in theology. Okay. It's kind of like how we have in the 21st century tried to equate God 
to love. So we try mm. to make it God equals to love. So we take the scripture that says God is love and we try to equate God to be equals to love. But we fail to realize that love isn't a definition of God. Quoting from the same book by Tozer. So I'll be explaining this, you know, a little more after this quote. So basically Tozer says this, I quote, when the scripture says God is love, it is not defining God. It does not tell us what God is in his metaphysical being. In the first place, the Bible never tells us what God is in his deep essential being. No one can conceive what God is except God because God is inconceivable. Even if anyone could conceive it, it couldn't be expressed because God is ineffable. Mm. And if it could be expressed, it couldn't be understood because God is incomprehensible. Therefore, to equate love with God is to go way off in your theology. If Mm -hmm. God is love in his metaphysical being, then God and love are equal to each other, identical. We could worship love as God. Thus, we would be worshipping an attribute of personality and not the person himself, Mm. thereby destroying the concept of personality in God and denying in one sweep all the other attributes of the deity. Don't forget that it also says God is light. That's in 1 John 1, 5. And this is the true God and eternal life. That's in 1 John 5, uh, verse 20. But we don't try to limit his nature to to be just light or life. So when it says God is love, it means that God is, that it means that love is an essential attribute of God's being. God cannot separate himself into parts and do with one attribute one thing and with another another. When we say God is love, we mean that God's love is such that it permeates his essential being and conditions all that he does. So, end quote. Mm That's a quote by A.W. Tozer. Mm -hmm. And guess what? The same goes for grace. We cannot afford to equate God to be equals to grace. Now, grace is an attribute of God, but grace is not God. So with that understanding, uh, let's now move on to try to to understand the term hypergrace. So hypergrace is uh, basically used to describe a new wave of teaching that emphasizes the grace of God to the exclusion of other vital teachings such as repentance, confession of sin, so on and so forth. Now, don't Mm -hmm. get me wrong. Um, Mm -hmm. It's not that grace isn't biblical, so to speak. God is a God of grace and He is full of grace and truth. That's what the Bible tells us, right? Mm-hmm. And we've established earlier that grace is an attribute of God. By hypergrace, however, we mean uh we mean that when a preacher tries to equate God to be equals to grace, so we'll hear things. Um, so for hypergrace teachers, we'll often hear them saying things like God is grace and grace is Jesus mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. But you know, basically ideas along those lines. But hey, you know, we cannot simply focus solely on God's grace. We can't laser yes. focus and zoom in all the way. Yes. on just God's grace. Now, once again, yeah. So, quoting from the same book by Tozer, I, I find that this book is really um, very good. Mm. So, Tozer says here, I quote, If we make him a God of grace and nothing else, as gospel churches have over the past 50 years, we have a God who cannot see moral distinctions. This is why the church has been unable to see moral distinctions. Okay. Instead of a separated holy church, we have a church that's so geared into the world, you can't tell one from the other. 
it was said of a certain great English preacher that he preached grace in such a manner as to lower the moral standards of England. Hmm. It's entirely possible to preach grace in a church until we become as arrogant and brazen as can be, forgetting that grace is one of the attributes of God, but not all. Wow. While God is a God of grace, he is also a God of justice, mm. holiness, and truth. Our God will always be true to his nature because he is a faithful God. End quote. So, yeah, I really like this quote. And to conclude this portion, uh, hypergrace is really when one attempts to magnify God's grace such that it overshadows all other attributes of God. Of course, God's grace is infinite, but Guess what? So are all his other attributes. Well, we do not know what we're doing when you know we try to play God's attributes against one another. Um, that's really irreverent, and that's not something we as creatures should be doing to God in the first place. And it's uh it's extremely dangerous because you know, as Toza has said, one can preach grace in such a manner as to lower moral standards. Of course, mm. no preacher would, you know, outwardly say that he wants to preach in such a way to lower <laughs> people's moral standards, right? But, you know, could it be that the preacher is, you know, unknowingly doing so by his preaching? Yeah, that's a question that I would like to leave with, you know, the listeners. Yeah. Mm. Okay, Mara, thank you for sharing your thoughts on hyper grace. I think that's very important to understand that, yes, while it is important, imperative to understand the attributes of God at the same time the attributes themselves are not God right because we know that God he he's incomprehensible to understand and regarding hyper grace it can be a little confusing at first because you know you think about we know God's grace is is in the Bible we know that apart from from his grace you know we can never be saved by our own works we can never be saved by being a good person but yet with hyper grace it's like it's like people will take that message and they'll think, oh, you know, since God forgives me, since all, you know, all of my sins are covered, I could pretty much do whatever I want. And sadly, there are people who, who do, who do, who live like that, you know, and they profess to know, they profess to know Jesus. I remember just to uh, highlight a quick story. I remember there was one time where uh, a guy, he shared about how he came to know Christ, right? And Later on, he became a he became an atheist, and basically, someone had asked him, you know, oh, what happened, right? And how, you know, he basically was like, oh, I decided to walk away from the faith. But his later words really uh, hit me because he was like, oh, even if Jesus, right, if God existed, you know, I know I would go to heaven because I, <laughs> I basically prayed and asked him into my heart you know that's universalism basically right? yeah but but what but what but just go but just trying to link it to grace you know there are people who think oh you know maybe well even if i walk away from the faith but if i know god exists but if god exists then perhaps you know he'll forgive me he'll show me grace and you know i'll go i'll go to heaven and, and of course that's wrong because we know that grace doesn't mean hey you know you have a license to sin right that you can do whatever you could do whatever you want and, and still be forgiven, right? Because the Bible does still call us to, you know, confess our sins. They call us to walk in sanctification and holiness. So we have to understand that grace isn't meant to be abused, right? Even though grace is free, it is not cheap. It is costly. You know, it costs Jesus his, his own blood, right? His sacrifice Amen. on the cross, you know, and it's something that we as Christians, even now, like we, we have to under understand. So, 
Um, Actually, you mentioned about um, grace is not cheap. I was reminded of this really good book. Um, it's called The Cost of Discipleship by mm-hmm. Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, and he actually, you know, distinguished between, you know, true bi- biblical grace and mm-hmm. cheap grace. Yes. Yeah, so I, know, I think I that's that a definition. really good resource. That's mm. a, that is definitely a, a good resource. Yeah, um, yeah, that, that quote, I know, I know the exact quote you're talking about. And um, it definitely is the complete opposite of of hyper hyper grace so uh amanda is there anything you want to add yeah so just adding on to what myra has shared earlier Mm -hmm. yeah on the scripture that says god is love Mm -hmm. and we actually try to equate god to be equal to love but when Mm -hmm. she failed to realize that love isn't a definition of god yeah Mm. so i felt that this has been so abused like when people actually use god is love for everything to say god is all loving means it's nothing else but love Mm-hmm. This is a false God that the world has created. The God of the Bible is loving, wrathful, just, merciful, holy, and more. God's love does not negate His holiness, rebuke, wrath, and judgment. To the mm-hmm. contrary, if God did not execute judgment, He would be neither good nor loving. Yeah, so everyone actually wants to talk about how God is love. Yeah. But nobody wants to talk about the biblical definition of God's love. Mm-hmm. And what we are seeing today uh, redefine Christ- Christianity as love without truth and we find ourselves living in a culture that actively promotes and celebrates the things that God has condemned yeah. and forbidden. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The Lord Jesus was the embodiment of love yet he was preaching a gospel that made people want to kill him. Paul preached <laughs> yeah. a gospel that caused people want to kill him as well. Remember Jesus, mm-hmm. Paul and the rest of the apostles were beaten and even killed for preaching the gospel. So we mm. must not alter the message to make it comfortable or not to compromise the truth which our church fathers have fought for right. and sealed with their very own blood through martyrdom just mm. so that the truth can be preserved and delivered to us today. We should stand firm on his word, speaking the truth in love, whatever the cost may be. Mm. Yeah, that's yeah, actually, now that mm-hmm. you, you mentioned this, I, I was reminded of, you know, how a lot of people will, will be like, oh, you know, because, you know, we are, you know, um, making a stand against the false teachers. And then some people will be like, oh, you know, you're persecuting the false teachers. And then they are trying to use that grounds to say, yeah, look at how Paul was being persecuted for yes. preaching the true gospel. Mm-hmm. We're persecuted and therefore, you know, we must be preaching the truth. But, you know, um, I think Mike Winger has a really good post on this. And, um, you know, mm. he, he actually says this. It seems like a lot of false groups that he's seen um, will claim that people who openly disagree with mm-hmm. them are actually persecuting them but you know yeah. um, you know they go on to claim that this persecution is proof that they're right about their beliefs mm-hmm. but you know merely being persecuted doesn't prove that you're right uh, it proves that you know you're steadfast in your beliefs if yeah. you hold on to them in the midst of you know real persecution but it doesn't prove that you know your beliefs are true right. so you know you can really have good reason to believe based on evidence or personal experience but you know not based on persecution and um there's really no place in scripture that actually says persecution by itself is a proof that you know a particular group actually you know um is preaching true doctrines and mm-hmm. um you know because you know we really you know see such um response from um you know false teachers that are often say oh you know i'm being persecuted but actually are they really i mean they're rolling in you know um, the love and adoration of their congregations. And, you know, it's just because, um, you know, people have taken a stand against false teachers, you know, and spoken out against them. And then they're like, oh, we're being persecuted and um, things like that. But, you know, persecution is really no ground to actually, 
you know, claim to have true doctrine. Uh, yeah. So, you know, okay. there are many religious groups that actually claim that, you know, they are true because they are being persecuted. But mm-hmm. is that really, you know, the, the, the litmus test mm-hmm. for, you know, what's the truth? It's not, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, If anything, like, I've heard, I've heard uh, Joseph Prince actually shared that as well. Like, you know, based on his message, you know, he's been criticized, but he's like, oh, but look at the Apostle Paul. He's been persecuted too. So, you know, in his eyes, he thinks he's, he's justified with his action. But at the same time, it's like, you know, I feel like these preachers are, are, are quick to, to just say, oh, I'm being persecuted for my message. But yet at the same time, they fail to take accountability for themselves you know, like, cause there's so, it's like, you know, it's so easy to, to blame shift, right? Like think about, you know, Adam and Eve in the garden after they sinned, right? When God, you know, taught Adam about like, wait, I asked him about what he did. He's like, you know, he, what do you say? Like, oh, the wife you gave me, you know, the lady you gave me. Right. And then, and then he goes to Eve and then Eve, she blames the serpent. So we see like uh, a lack of accountability for one's action. Even if, even if, in their eyes, like based on what you said, Meyer, like they think their teachings are are true, right? They're steadfast in their beliefs. But then at the same time, it's like just because you're steadfast in your beliefs doesn't mean that you have to just shun out any type of criticism, right? Because guess what? We all need criticism at times. Sometimes we have to keep ourselves, sometimes we need somebody else to keep us in check, right? Well, there's teachings even in the context of uh, a fellowship, right? We all we all need that. And um, I just well, before we move on to our, our, our next point, I just really wanted to just read out the quote by uh by Bonhoeffer on, on Cheap Grace because I think it's just it's just tremendous and I, I don't want to leave it out. So just let me read it how here real quick, right? And I quote, Cheap Grace is the preaching of forgiveness without repentance, baptism without church discipline, communion without confession, absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, and grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. So I think that's that's just based on that quote alone, it completely it completely destroys the concept of hyper grace because we recognize that grace is not it is not cheap at all. It is is definitely costly. And we know that yes, even though without grace we wouldn't be saved, but then at the same time being under grace doesn't mean hey here's a license to sin you know think about the and it yeah well, it doesn't give us you know the license to trample on the grace of god the yeah. grace of god right otherwise you're just abusing the grace of god because you're you can do whatever you can do whatever you want you know and it makes me also think about um exodus chapter 20 so like you know this is the chapter where god gives the 10 commandments and just to highlight real real quick here right before he gives the 10 commandments this is what the lord says um to to moses right right before he gives the ten commandments so to tell israel god says i am the lord your god who brought you out of egypt out of the land of slavery and right after that he he starts with the first commandment right you shall have no other gods before me so just to highlight uh in this text so when god says you know i am the lord your god who brought you out of egypt out of the land of slavery he's basically basically saying you know i've redeemed you you know i took you out of egypt took you out of slavery out of pharaoh's grasp right and that was all an act of grace right you know it was never about hey israel i saved you because you were you were good right like uh, like elsewhere in in the in a pentateuch where god where god was like you know you weren't he was like oh you guys weren't the biggest nation you weren't the strongest nation 
right? Like I saved you, it was purely out of my grace and and and, and love. So trying to point down here is like, you know, God, yes, even though he does save us by grace, but then after that, God establishes his word, his law, not as a means to get saved, but as a means to to live for him, right? To understand, you know, this is this is what we were we were we were made for, right? To to live for God and to live in, in his world, right? Because this is his world, right? It's not our world. We're just inhabitants of this world, but to show how we can live in a life that is pleasing to him and overall that glorifies his, his name. So just to point out the law real quick, how would you distinguish that from from legalism? Because I've heard about when it comes to Joseph Prince, like I've heard that his view on the law is legalism. Yeah, so for for this, I think it's important to first define what legalism is. So legalism is basically a belief that behaviors, um, disciplines, and practices must be performed in order to achieve salvation and right standing before God. So basically, we have to use works to earn our righteousness. That's legalism, mm. right? Simply put, the math of legalism states that faith plus works equals to salvation. And that's a heresy. Legalism means salvation by works. It is not a biblical teaching. Now, the law is not legalism. I think many times people have twisted the equation in their heads and turned to think that law equals bad, grace equals good. But is that really the dichotomy that's presented in the Bible? The answer is no, right? The Bible is opposed to legalism. Uh, Basically, legalism meaning the attempt to actually attain salvation by works. Um, but the Bible is not opposed to the law and the commandments. In fact, so many parts of you know the New Testament actually exhorts us to keep His commandments. For instance, and okay. in, we read in John, the Gospel of John, um, chapter fourteen, verse fifteen, Jesus actually says to His disciples, "If you love Me, keep My commandments." Wait a minute, keep His commandments? Why do I need to? You know, we keep His commandments because we love Him. Now, if we truly love God, we will obey Him. And that's not, you know, trying to work for our salvation, but it's out mm. of a heart of love that we actually obey God, right? And we can also read this in, you know, First John chapter 2, um, verses 3 to 6. Um, I read, and by this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Amen. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this, we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Um, you know, I didn't do any interpretation there. That was just plain reading of First John chapter two, verses three to six. No interpretation, just reading the scriptures. And you know, um, that really brings me to this question, right? Where did we even get this idea of law equals to legalism from? It's not taught in the scriptures. The scriptures uphold salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, apart from works. But the Bible has never ever taught that the law is bad. To attempt to even equate the law to mean legalism is to seriously misunderstand what the Bible teaches. Myra, thank you briefly for, for explaining how how the law, you know, when it comes to when it comes to the law, like the actual viewing of the law, it, it has nothing to do with legalism. And of course, yeah, people have a tendency to to equate the law as bad, whereas grace is equated as good. And I think when it comes and when it comes to hyper grace, I think because the law is bad, right, and and grace is good, people have a tendency to 
like I said, you know, do whatever they want, sin, sin freely, but yet still feel like they're forgiven. And the problem with that, it can lead to what is known as antinomianism, which is the, the complete opposite of legalism. So just to ask you, Myra, how would you define antinomianism? So, um, yeah, it's important to define what antinomianism means. Mm -hmm. So simply put, antinomianism is actually the belief that the gospel frees Christians from obedience to any law, whether civil, ceremonial, or moral in nature. And antinomians would claim that obedience isn't necessary for Christians and that Christians can live however they want and suffer no consequence because grace right mm. and if legalism is one extreme now um, then antinomianism is the other extreme like legalism antinomianism is a heresy so antinomians are right in that salvation isn't by works mm -hmm. but what antinomians got wrong is that they actually cheapen the grace of god as you know an excuse for sin but does the Bible teach that we need not obey God and that we can live however we want? I think um, if we understand the doctrine of regeneration, we'll understand that no truly born-again believer will actually live in blatant disobedience to God. Um, when we are born again, we read in Ezekiel um, chapter 36, verses mm -hmm. 26 to 27, I quote, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a, a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Obedience. Right. That's it, right? The truly regenerate heart will desire to obey God and to walk in obedience to God because the, the regenerate heart loves God. And will she or he obey God perfectly? The answer is no, right? Um, it's not sinless perfection. And, you know, even uh, after we, we have been born again, we may still stumble here and there. But, you know, genuinely, we will desire from the bottom of our heart to obey God because mm. um, our hearts have been regenerated. And, you know, Amen. before regeneration, of course, right? Who would want to obey God? It's like a chore, right? Oh, man, these are a list of do's and these are a list of don'ts. And that would be like a chore and duty to, you know, the unregenerate. But mm -hmm. the new birth is what makes all the difference. You know, when our hearts... Um, have been regenerated um, the desires and the dispositions of the person changes and you know that's when walking in obedience to God isn't a chore to him but instead he walks in obedience to God because he loves God and that's really the beauty of it and um, I mm. think this really brings you know First John chapter 3 verses 8 to 10 um, to mind okay. so I quote Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever mm. does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. End quote. Mm -hmm. um, before I go further, yeah. I would like to highlight that you know the Apostle, uh, the Apostle John is saying that no Christian will keep on continuing to live in sin unrepentant, right? We will, will we stumble into sin here and there as Christians? The answer is yes, right? Earlier on in, you know, chapter one of the same episode, the Apostle John said in verse eight, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth mm -hmm. is not in us. Yes. So while yes, you, you know, the Christian 
may still stumble and fall into sin here and there, you know, he does not go on and make a practice of sin and, you know, make a cycle of it by going, you know, oh God, I'm so sorry, but never changing his ways, never repenting. Um, you know, just a mere feeling of remorse wouldn't, mm. it's, it's not repentance, right? You can feel bad, you know, you can feel yeah. however bad you want, but, you know, unless you change your ways, you know, and fully turn away from sin and, and to God, right? Um, then, you know, that's not repenting, right? And I mean, if you're truly, truly sorry, we'll, you know, stop doing whatever we claim to be sorry about, right? So, you know, let's let's say I slapped Amanda and then I told Amanda, oh my, I'm so sorry, Amanda, but I continue, you know, to keep on slapping her and, you know, what's Amanda supposed to think, right? Um, should she take my apologies seriously? No, you know, if I were truly sorry for <laughs> slapping Amanda the first time, I wouldn't keep on continuing to slap her and then while slapping her, while slapping her, you know, um, tell her, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, but I keep on slapping her while saying that I'm sorry, you know, or worse, you know, tell her I'm sorry before I, you know, slap her. I mean, it just, doesn't make sense at all yeah so um yeah <laughs> yeah i think amanda will probably stop talking to you after that <laughs> that's, funny. that's funny yeah it's like a hypocritical you know, statement i'm so sorry but you know yes. my actions prove otherwise so oh nah. yeah yeah well uh thank you thank you for for sharing it, it's so true though when it comes to to disting- distinguishing um when it comes to looking at hyper hyper grace and antinomianism because like you know, you have, you know, again, we have, you know, we have God's grace, but it doesn't mean, you know, you could do whatever you want and, and yet still act as though you'd love that person. Or in this case, like you, you know, you love God, you know, and, and, and it's, and it's good that you shared from first John because first John really touches on that a lot. I actually have a, just a text here that came to mind as, as you were sharing Myra, where it says here, by this, we know that we love the children, children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. Going on to verse three, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. So again, that's from First John five verses two and three. So when it comes to so when it comes to obedience, we recognize that it's not because oh legalism, but it's because because of the grace of God, because of God's love. Now we we want to serve him. We want to to love him, and of course that doesn't mean we we feel motivated to do that all the time, right? There are times where obviously we fall into sin, and then there are times where we fall into a state of complacency. You know, I I feel like, and that would definitely be an interesting topic for for a future episode. But you know, spiritual complacency I think is probably one of the most. It can be a struggle at times for Christians because even though yeah you love God, right? Yes, you do receive the gospel and yeah you may be born again but there are times where you know we're we're just so cold in our faith where it's like man like you don't want to do anything but then at the same time you know for those who are true christians they're the ones who ultimately repent and they'll turn back to god because they recognize that obviously apart from him they they cannot they cannot be saved and of course you know you cannot imagine your life you cannot imagine your life your life without him so it's like so yeah so going back to to my, my point here is that, you know, when it comes to obedience, you know, it's, it's all out of love in light of the grace of, of God. All right. So moving on to our next point here. So I want to touch briefly on Holy Communion. So one thing in preparation for this message, I had been reading about how Joseph Prince believes in the power of communion in terms of, of healing and of course we know communion is obviously you know it's something that we all do as christians of course it's an important practice but the way joseph prince does it is is something that is 
I'll be honest, it has nothing to do with communion. So Joseph Prince associates communion with, with healing, right? He has a book here that he released, uh, I believe in 2019, where it says, eat your, the book is titled, eat your way to, to life and health, unlock the power of, of the Holy Communion. And um, in, a, in an article here with Fox News, he explains that when he was a young believer, he didn't, he actually didn't want to take communion because he, he thought, he, he thought that he was too unworthy to do it, but now he he does it. Apparently, he says he does it daily because according to him, he, in his words, he says, and I quote, the Lord opened my eyes to how he has made it. So, so easy for any of us to receive the divine help that our Lord Jesus paid for us to enjoy. And, and then he continues on. I believe that the Lord gave me a mission to, to teach on the health-giving, life-imparting healing power of the communion. Prince said, explaining why he wrote a book about a sacrament that some believers only partake once a week or once a month, if at all. He adds, I want to add to know beyond a shadow of any doubt that God wants them heal, hold, and well. Prince calls communion the proverbial fountain of youth of mankind that has been in search of generations and is more powerful than any medicine, antibiotic, or medical procedure. He believes it could be the difference of life and death. He shares testimonies throughout the book, how I've been healed by the power of communion. And one thing just wanted to know, like I, I, I've seen some of these testimonies on, on his Instagram page, right? I'm sure, right? At one point you follow this page, right? Like his page has a lot of, a lot of testimonies of people. And one of them I read recently, well, it had to deal with a woman who was healed by taking communion. Um, and, and even Joseph Prince's own son, Justin, who he had a, he had a skull fractures and apparently he got sent to the hospital and, and Joseph Prince and his wife, they decided to take communion with their, the child at the hospital and ultimately he was healed. So, because of all so just because based on all of these experiences we see like how how why, why i can easily see why joseph prince would want to stress this as a as a, as a teaching so um regarding this teaching on hyper sorry not hyper grace regarding this teaching on community and healing like how would you like what are what are your thoughts on on this yeah probably i can share Mm-hmm. Yeah, Holy Communion is actually most um, clearly spoken about in 1 Corinthians 11 as well as the Gospels. Okay. With the, mm-hmm. uh, with the limit time we have here, I'd like to talk about 1 Corinthians 11, a passage that Prince himself uses in his book, Eat Your Way to Life and Health. Initially, Prince got the context of 1 Corinthians 11 correct we- in his book. However, mm-hmm. a few pages down, he eventually somehow decided to twist the clear context of 1 Corinthians 11 to force-fit his unbiblical belief that Holy Communion is for healing. Yeah, mm. so I remember there was once uh, when I was still in my previous church I was from and was asked to lead Holy Communion for my cell group. Mm. And how they actually practice Holy Communion was that they always say something like, thank you Lord for your body that was broken for me. By your stripes, I was healed and then partake. So basically, they actually infuse Isaiah 53 with Holy Communion and spin a whole new doctrine out of that. Yeah. So I remember back then, I wanted to share a little about Holy Communion before leading the rest in it. In mm-hmm. particular, I wanted to share how the Holy Communion was for healing. But as I studied the Gospel and 1 Corinthians 11, I began to realize that there is no link between Holy Communion and healing at all. Mm. So I was bothered by it, but that I was bothered by it because Holy Communion and healing was something taught 
and practice on a weekly basis in New Creation Church. Mm. I brush my thoughts and questions aside and dismiss them. Yeah, so, but some months down the road, when I actually began to examine the scriptures, yeah, to my horror, I actually realized this, to make the Holy Communion be all about getting health and healing is okay. borderline heresy. Yeah, so the purpose of the Holy Communion cannot be clearer in the scriptures. Okay. We are to partake of the Holy Communion in remembrance of Him. Correct. That's it. Yeah, we remember Christ's death on the cross for us, the salvation He bought for us that we might be reconciled to our Heavenly Father in Christ. Since when was it about health and healing? Mm. Prince also encourages the congregation to take the Holy Communion three times a day like how one would take wow. medicine. So if the Holy Communion was really for healing as Prince claims, why was this never taught in the scriptures? Mm -hmm. The apostles never taught believers to partake of the Holy Communion when, we, when they were sick. Neither Jesus nor the apostle went around getting people to partake of the Holy Communion in response to sickness. Instead, they commanded they commanded, lay hands, prayed, and give specific instructions whenever they encounter the sick. None of them ever suggested to the sick, hey, you are sick, let's partake of the Holy Communion together. <laughs> yeah, this is closely tied to Prince Prosperity Gospel teachings and beliefs. I think the question really is this, why are we making the gospel, making Christianity all about us? Mm. We use the word of God as a means to get rich by declaring and decreeing. We use the Lord's Supper as a means to get health and healing. We basically use our so-called Christianity as a means to our desired earthly covetous end. Why? Why is it that we profess to set our mind on things above, but in reality, it's so evident that so many professing Christians are actually so earthly-minded? I feel like if our versions of so-called Christianity encourages covetousness, self-entitlement, mm -hmm. self-importance, and like we should really re-evaluate the beliefs we have been embracing and take a good thorough look at the Bible. Mm. yeah it's so it's so true because it's like you know christianity yes it's not about us so it's like when it comes to these teachings it's like we have to make sure it'll it actually aligns with with this with the scriptures so in the context of communion yes, we have to recognize that yes it was primarily you know made as a, a commemoration in, in terms of understanding the, the sacrifice of christ and also also celebration you know because we recognize you know he won and won the victory for us at the cross. And, you know, and, and also we can also see it as a, an anticipation in the sense of like, you know, one day we will be with him forever and, you know, and, and, you know, and that's a good way to really look at communion, just having, just knowing that, you know, this communion reminds us of that, that, that uh, importance of understanding the, the sacrifice of Christ for us, you know? And so when it comes to healing, and I remember the first time you guys shared this with me about, how this is actual this is an actual practice at, at the at new creation church that you can take communion every day and when all of a sudden receive healings like hold on like where in the bible does it say that the bible never says that when jesus um when we see the teaching on communion right i believe it's in first corinthians 11 if i'm not mistaken i don't have the, the actual text yeah me. yeah it is first okay. Corinthians 11. yeah you know paul never says Hey, if you take healing, you are you are healed, you are delivered. No, it has nothing. It, it never says. It never says that because there is not an actual, not an actual practice, not an actual practice. It is not prescriptive, right? So it's like, who are we to now say? Oh yeah, I I can. Yeah, you know, I've experienced 
healing in my life because oh I took communion therefore I need to make I need to make a book out of it I need to make a teaching out of it and and Sally when it comes to in this case Sally a lot of Christians because they don't have a grasp of the scriptures they automatically believe it they, they automatically are like man like this is so powerful it's so good I have to get this book now and I have to 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 do this to to practice it out on my own and then when they don't when they're not healed then of course you know as the prosperity gospel likes to stress oh you you don't have enough faith you need to try harder and yeah it's it's just bad so but for those who apparently are healed right you know like I just mentioned earlier, Joseph Prince's son apparently was healed after they took communion, right? And then we have other testimonies of people trying to commune. Like, how would you explain? How would you explain? How would you explain all of these healing testimonies? Well, um, praise God for the healing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that God is merciful towards them, and you know in His sovereignty, he chooses us to actually heal um these people, and we rejoice with them that they have received their physical healing. Uh, I think it's always tempting to you know want to look at circumstances because um so because they're healed, they look to circumstance and and so to speak, and then they they think that it's the holy communion that caused that healing mm, but need okay. it really be so you know yeah. it's really no different from thinking like oh you know i wore red today you know red is like you know lucky the lucky color for chinese and um, yes. everything you know went really mm-hmm. smooth because i wear red so therefore i should always wear red if i want things to go smoothly in my life um that's plain superstition and um that's precisely what we're doing with the holy communion mm. we say we're trying to say you know okay to someone so we're trying to say, okay, so someone just claimed that the Holy Communion can heal physical ailments. Well, I'll, I'll just try it, right? And somehow I really, you know, somehow got healed when I tried it. And therefore, I decided to go with the doctrine that Holy Communion is for physical healing. But is that really true? Um, now, to measure whether something should or shouldn't be um, taught as a doctrine, we should always go back to the Bible. What does the Bible say about it? You know, as Amanda, you know, has mentioned, nowhere in the Bible do we see the apostles and, you know, Jesus himself going to the sick and saying, oh yeah, you ain't feeling good. Um, How about let's take Holy Communion together and eat your way to life and health? No, like, we, we don't see any passage teaching on that. And um, no apostle actually teach on that. And even Jesus himself <laughs> doesn't teach that, right? So mm-hmm. um, why is that some form of Gnostic special revelation that, mm. you know, only certain select people um, receive, you know, directly from God, you know, um, direct revelation. It's actually, you know, Gnosticism repackaged, right? Oh, yes. And, you know, it's really back um, to the same thing we've covered in our previous episodes, right? right? We cannot exalt experiences above scripture. Mm. Just because our experience somehow validates something, we can't claim that to be true on the grounds of our experience when it's clearly something scripture doesn't teach. Mm. So can God heal through Holy Communion? Sure. You know, he can heal through any means he chooses to. He is God. He is sovereign. But can we, you know, therefore claim and teach people to take Holy Communion for the sake of healing? The answer is no. Why? Because scripture very clearly tells us the purpose of taking Holy Communion. It is to be taken in remembrance of Christ. Amen. Also, can I just say this? It's really yes. irreverent to use the sacraments as a means to 
our own desired uh-huh. ends. Mm-hmm. You see, it's the same pattern, right? It's just repackaged in different ways, but it's always about, you know, how the prosperity gospel and word of faith is always about trying to use certain things in Christianity as a means to, mm-hmm. you know, man's own covetous ends, right? Yeah. You know, everything from the sacraments to the Bible um, should actually, by right, serve to lead us to the chief end that, that is Christ mm. himself. You know, if our use of the sacraments and of the Bible even, you know, is to, you know, our own ends, such as getting health and wealth and, you know, everything else but Christ himself, <laughs> that rhymes. Yeah, I think it's really time to take a serious look at what we're doing with our religion. Um, don't chip on Christianity. Christianity is not a means to man's greedy end. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's so true and it's so sad, <laughs> you know, just based on what you said, like how communion just becomes a tool to your end and it's just something that is it's so it's sacred you know it's like it's something that we shouldn't take lightly right yeah i think many times they will be like oh you know um it's not that you know um it's it's not about healing it's about going to jesus you know somehow they they have this ability to explain it away but i think actions (laughs) themselves speak louder than words i mean if you are literally taking holy communion and you're saying things like like you know this special chant oh jesus by stripes i'm healed by stripes i'm healed i mean it's clear right what's the end you you want to achieve out of that it's healing right so you can't you can twist it however you want and say that oh it's going to christ you're going to christ and you know you want to uh, uh you know achieve christ or you know or, or be closer to christ but um, I think then our actions actually betray uh, our profession. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I I agree. You know, and and also like just based on creating this teaching based on subjective experience, you know, it also undermines the the sufficiency of scripture because since the Bible doesn't teach it, but then all of a sudden you make a teaching out of it, then you're no longer going by scripture, just going by your your own experiences and you know and there's so many and there's so many teachings like that you know aside from communion that you know that such and such that pastors preachers or whoever right they'll come up and and say hey you know check out this teaching and they'll you know they even claim divine inspiration behind it and then lo and behold you have they become uh they become they become a hit you know they become a, a big deal and everybody you know, people are automatic. You know, are recommending their books and their teachings, and and then it's like, for like people like us, right? You know, perhaps later, you know, earlier on, you know, we 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 probably would have agreed with what they said, but that, but like, but now since you know, we we've come out of the prosperity gospel, and the charismatic gospel, the charismatic movement, and the like, you know, we recognize that these things are are false, and they're even though. On the outside, right? It may sound good. It may sound powerful, but then when you look at it deeply, it really—it's nothing at all. You know, it is deception. It is empty. It is uh, not substantial, and it has nothing to do with the Word of God. So, therefore, like, why continue to 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 give credence to that? Instead, you know, we are to reject it wholeheartedly and get back to to the Word of God. So that's very important, you know, especially when and spend especially when it comes to understanding to the when it yeah, comes to understanding I, I, communion. I think it's really one thing to be deceived and quite another to, you know, be self-deceived and to want to be self-deceived. Mm. Yeah. 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 So that's very true, you know. Um it definitely yeah, we definitely have to get back to to the word of God, you know, and especially when it comes to communion. We need a biblical 
if we say we're Christians, if, you know, we say that the Bible is God's word, then we are to be, you know, people who are actually rooted in God's word, right? You know, Jesus says, you know, if you love me, keep my commandments, you know? So this is very important. It's something that we don't want to take for granted. Otherwise, we're just, like you said, Myra, we're just cheapening Christianity, you know, and which make pretty much means that it's no longer Christianity at all. It's yeah, just- actually, you know, this brings Mark Twain's quote to, to um, you know, my, my mind. Okay. Uh, Mark Twain actually said this, it's easier to fool people than to convince them that mm. they have been fooled. Um, it's really sad. Yeah. Mm, yeah. It's so, it's very true. It's very true. All right. So excellent point so far in terms of understanding how communion New Creation Church has been uh, a, almost a distorted version of how it's been distorted from the scriptures and also how grace is, when it comes to hyper grace, how grace is also a distortion of of the scriptures. So basically, we're, we're seeing a trend here in terms of, of that, um, which again, it goes to show that it it's so easy to undermine the sufficiency of scripture when you yourself are not rooted in, in the word of God, which of course, like I said earlier, we must get back to the word of God in order to, to really, to really understand what, what God is trying to tell us. All right. So going on to our next point, I just wanted to highlight this point. This point initially came up um, in preparation of for, for this message. I had heard one of you shared about how Joseph Prince is not accessible and, Meaning that, like, if let's say, you know, I was struggling or, you know, if I needed prayer, if I wanted, you know, pastoral counseling, you know, normally in churches, you know, you can arrange a meeting with a pastor, you can talk, you could talk to them. I know, I know, I I know I have, you know, in my experience where I can, I can sit down and, you know, have a meeting. But in terms of Joseph Prince and New Creation Church, apparently that's not the case, you know, and that's pretty telling, especially for like, a mega church leader and um especially because you have, you know you have all these people and and it's like you know the main question is like you know how would a pastor how would a pastor talk to them if he you know have, if there's so many people you know so it's like yeah so it's it's definitely something that that, that i've been curious about so just to start off on this point i just wanted to ask like was there ever a time you wanted to talk to joseph prince but you couldn't and how did you feel when you realized he was out of reach so for for me i okay so you know some backstory i think i actually highlighted this in previous episodes as well that you know new creation was really like the first church that i settled down in and so really pretty much everything that i knew about you know church and pastors and whatnot you know how you know what doctrines are you know so called christian and you know how pastors are supposed to you know, function and behave, right? You know, all of these actually um, taught to me by, you know, New Creation Church mm-hmm. and, you know, my, my experience there actually, um, yeah, basically that that formed my idea of, you know, how pastors should work and, and all this kind of thing. So um, with that in mind, really, um, I I felt like, you know, this whole celebrity culture in the church, it was, it was like a norm to me. I didn't feel that sure. there was anything, you know, wrong with that. And, you know, bear in mind that I also did not read the Bible much, if at all, back then. So I, I didn't know what a church should look like and how pastors should actually conduct themselves. And um, so, you know, I didn't really, you know, ever think of 
reaching out to Joseph Prince <laughs> because I mean in a way you you it, it's like a given thing right? oh you know he's so high up there you know what makes you think that he'll be you know open to to, to chat with you or you know um well, what makes you think that he's you know um he he's Business schedule can accommodate you, yeah, and and you know there's no such um avenues to actually, um you know kind of, like, set a meeting with him, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and you know how I felt about that was you know interestingly I actually felt good that he's out of reach back mm-hmm. then. I I think it's kind of ironic, but you know it's really like a pride thing, and it's you know I was really proud that my pastor was famous. You know that he was you know like famous not just in Singapore but famous in the US and you know famous all around the world and and, and all that thing. And you know because um also because some testimony videos actually um you know there was actually featured on Sundays back then. You know had you know people commenting on how they really wish to be in New Creation Church and whatnot. So it definitely felt very good. It's like a it, it's like kind of an ego boost you, you get where I'm coming from so um, you know I felt privileged and honored mm-hmm. to have you know Joseph Prince as my pastor back then um, but on hindsight I feel that it's you know pretty messed up because um, you know of course they, um, for them you know they, they will always tell you things like oh you know the Lord has really blessed the church so the church has you know grown exponentially in numbers so um, you know Joseph Prince as a senior pastor he cannot be tending to all the sheep um, so he has called uh, he has so-called under shepherds so-called yeah you know um below him you know to to really take care of the sheep and and whatnot so um i i feel like you know really that in itself um creates some form of very pronounced hierarchy and unfortunately that i feel promotes idolatry in the congregation you know of course we can't stop people from idolizing someone else if they really want to but you know the thing is really the structure of the organization and simply how the organization actually conducts itself um, really affects a lot. So, you know, if the organization is constantly, you know, pointing towards a star preacher and, and kind of in, in so doing, elevating a particular star preacher by putting him or herself down, like saying, oh, you know, pastor is so good and so good. And, you know, I feel like I feel really so blessed that, you know, pastor so-and-so gave me this stage to, to preach on. And, you know, I'm really, uh, you know, uh, I have nothing much more else that's good to add because you know pastor has already preached on everything that you know can be preached and i'm just you know uh, picking up points that he have preached in other sermons and to really um just you know I'm, I'm still using back his points you know all these kind of things and really um it's unsurprising to see such behaviors being mimicked and you know ultimately over time become the culture of the organization and definitely i i think that you know celebrity culture inevitably promotes idolatry yeah 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 so true it's definitely a topic I want to cover in the future, you know, on celebrity culture, because uh, in terms of, in terms, you know, in the context of the church, because it's something that, you know, we not only see in mega churches, but even we even see it in even in the local church, right? You know, there are local churches that I know of where it's like the pastor, you know, he's seen as, as a, as a hero, right? And even though if his teaching is off base, he will always have, that support of his base because they feel they feel privileged you know they feel privileged to be to be under him they feel you know blessed to to be part of the church and at the same time you know while you know the bible does say you know to pray for our leaders you know we are to support them and love them but at the same time you know we you know it can never be done at the expense of truth because then like you said it becomes idolatry and you know going back to a point on on joseph prince you know, I just find it, I just find it sad because it's like, I feel like just having him out of reach ultimately undermines his role as a shepherd in terms of having a relationship to God's people. 
You know, I think of the Apostle Paul in his letter to the church in Thessalonica. And uh, I have a verse here from 1 Thessalonians 2, 7, which reads, but we, will gent we, but we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of, their own ch of our own children. We cared so deeply that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our, our own lives as well. So just based on that text alone, we see how Paul himself, the Apostle Paul, even though, you know, he had multiple missionary journeys, you know, he was to and fro throughout the Mediterranean, you know, he still, he had a connection to these churches, right? And of course, that doesn't mean that, you know, he was, you know, best friends with everybody, but obviously, you know, he, he showed that he cared for them. He showed that, you know, we, there's you know, this personal touch, there's a personal we... touch, you know, there's a personal touch. And, and it's sad when we, when we, you know, and if Paul was able to do that, then how come uh, Joseph Prince can't do that? You know, is he better than Paul, you know, <laughs> because he, he has a, he has a bigger church, right? He, he has a, a big ministry. You know, I just feel like, I don't know. It's tough. I mean, like, I'm like, it, I can understand on one hand that, yes, you know what, obviously you won't be able to talk to everybody. Then at the same time, I feel like there should be some way you know, where, you know, he can, he can be uh, of accessibility to people, Spurgeon, even Spurgeon himself met with people as well, like in the context of, I don't know if you've, have you ever read this, um, but Spurgeon throughout his whole ministry, he never gave an altar call. And whenever, so if for anybody who wanted to be saved, right, they were concerned about the state of their soul, Spurgeon would ask them to meet with him personally. So, and I think that's also important as well, because obviously, you know, you're dealing with basically dealing with eternity, right? And I just like the fact that Spurgeon himself was willing to meet with whoever needed, whoever needed Christ, right? Whoever needed salvation and forgiveness of sin. Whereas in today's context, you know, you usually have a team, you usually have somebody else to do, to do the work that a pastor, you know, primarily should, should have in mind. Yeah. By the way, is there anything you, uh, you wanted to add? Uh, to to this point, uh, Myra or Amanda? Yeah, actually, just like Myra, um, I actually felt good back then that he was um, out of reach. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so there was this news article that um, Prince has visited the White House during his US tour in 2019. Yeah, and it was actually reported in the news. Uh, you know, when, when it was actually shared across like with all our CG members, you know, or within our ministry serving teams, uh, we, are, we are so proud of our senior pastor being featured with a high-profile U.S. Uh, Vice President, Mike, Mike Pence. Yeah, and, and the meeting was actually well-received by the Americans as well. Yeah, so we, we often see in our church, like pre-services updates, how this grace revolution is actually reaching the Americans and has made an impact in the U.S. You know, and being a member of the church, it, it actually felt good that um, our presence is actually known beyond Asia. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's crazy. So uh, moving on, how would you, so based on this whole series that we've been doing so far, but, you know, obviously you guys have shared a lot and, you know, as always, thank you for, for, for sharing your journey. It's definitely, you know, we give God all the glory and, and honor for what he's done because, you know, otherwise I feel like, you know, we, we probably would have still been in the same place as we were, you know, years ago, right? Well, it's like, you know, like in our old church or even like in our understanding of, of the word. So 
moving on to the next question, how what would you say are your main takeaways from this journey? Um, personally, my main takeaway from this journey is really knowing Christ more intimately and deeply. Um, I'm really amazed by His grace and how you know He can, by His grace, take me out of the false prosperity gospel that I was so deeply entrenched in, um, as I've shared in previous episodes as well. And you know, to show me the true gospel of Jesus Christ, you know that He His grace and mercy really, um, you know, and His patience towards me, and that's really um, you know, to to get to know you know, how much he, he loves me. Yeah. And that's really, you know, the main takeaway, you know, to, to, to have Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Amanda. So for myself, I thank the Lord for his grace and mercy to mm. come to know of the truth, despite many wrong turns in seeking the truth. Yeah. Praise God for the conviction to depart from false teaching. I come to a place to worship God for who he is and for he alone is worthy of my worship. Yeah, I also learned from the book of Job that naked I come from my mother's womb and naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Yeah, we bring no fame nor money or popularity whatsoever when we come and none of those we actually take away when we actually eventually depart from this world. Yeah, so yeah, Christ alone. Christ alone, yeah, amen. You know, it's, yeah, it's definitely... Yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely, it's all God, you know, it's all, it's all God. It's all his grace. It's all his providence, you know, because it's like, we recognize that in these last days, you know, there will be the false teaching, there'll be deception, but even with, with the amount of deception we have today, it does not stop the grace of God from not only saving people, of course, right. Primarily, but also leading people out of false teachings false churches and, and recognizing you know the true the true gospel and, and being also placed in a, in a true in a, in a true church that preaches sound doctrine so based on so based on your journey and based on what you have you know learned right on what god has done in your life how would you encourage others who perhaps are still involved in the prosperity gospel or in general First, um, if you've been following this series up to here, mm-hmm. I just want to say a big thank you, you know, so much for listening. And I pray very much that you've been blessed by whatever has been shared on this platform. And if anything, my prayer is that you might seriously, seriously reconsider what you've been believing about Christianity uh, thus far and, you know, holding your beliefs under the light of the word of God. Um, pick up your Bible, read it, study it, meditate on it um seek the lord sincerely and i believe that none who you know have you know truly sought him sincerely has ever failed to find him the lord is merciful and gracious slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love that's in psalm 103 verse 8 um but let's not take his patience towards us for granted we don't have all the time in the world to take our time and, you know, to lay that which is of eternal consequences off to, you know, to, to think about it only later. And I beseech you, my friend, would you please reconsider Christ? Amen. Amen. Amanda, is there anything you wanted to add? Yeah. Thank you so much for following this uh, mini-series. And I pray that it has blessed you so far. Yeah, the gospel truth isn't always easy, but here's the good yes. thing about the truth. Even though it isn't easy, it's always edifying. 
we need to make sure that the gospel that we have been taught isn't solely based, focused on our comfort. We need to be convicted. Conviction in the godly sense leads us to be more like Jesus. If the gospel we hear is only comfortable, is it the full gospel? And if it's not the full gospel, is it the gospel at all? Yeah, so I like this quote um, by A.W. Tozer. It says that wherever I am, whatever I'm doing, I hope and pray to God that I will have the courage to stand up for the real Jesus of the New Testament, regardless mm. of whom I offend. Yeah, so to add on to that, um, yeah. I, saw, I saw from um, Good News Feed, there's this um, uh, post that they share. Never yes. worry about who will be offended by you speaking the truth. Rather, think about who will be misled, deceived, and destroyed if you don't. In the light of eternity, does it matter what people think about you for speaking and living out the truth? The word says that fear of a man is a snare. And this mm. is absolutely because of us caring about what others think. How, how many opportunities have we missed out to speak life-changing truth to others? What, what a detriment. Mm. To yeah. deprive the chance for someone to have a complete heart transformation, freedom from bondage and the relationship with God because we are shy, embarrassed. As one pastor I listen to often said that we do not have the right to reject the gospel for someone and by mm. not even giving them the chance to hear it and make the decision themselves. That's exactly like what we are doing. We are supposed to be bold in our faith. Many thought Paul was arrogant when we shared truth with others, but he wasn't. He was convicted and passionate. And he spoke with bonus of the truth that he personally encountered with Jesus. He didn't care about what others think. He lived in light of eternity, not the temporary. So I encourage you today to be bold in the truth. Don't let Amen. the fear of man partner you with the enemy and his agenda to keep the truth from people. Yeah, let mm. the fear of God partner you with the Holy Spirit to bring freedom to those around you. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. It's definitely so, so important. You know, like, I feel like based on, on this series that, we, that we've covered, which has been tremendous, you know, we have to recognize the truth, you know, the truth about the word of God, the truth about the gospel. Okay. So based on, okay. So based on this series, we have to recognize that, you know, it's not about us. It's about, it's about God. And therefore, since it is about God, we are to go by his word, not in accordance to what we want to, to say. And again, it's so easy to, to, to go by what we want to say, because it makes us feel good. It makes us feel like, okay, this is exactly how I want it to be. But actually, no, like in the Bible, you know, it calls us to, to self-denial. The Bible calls us to deny us tonight yourself because, you know, ultimately the Christian life is not, it's not about self-fulfillment. It's about self-denial. It's about giving our life to the one who has given his life for us so that we may give him glory, that we may give him the honor and the praise, that we may look unto him as the only as our source of salvation, of course, right? Primarily, but also as our, our sustenance, that he is enough, that his word is enough, that his gospel is enough. Therefore, you know, like if you are involved in the prosperity gospel or any other kind of, of teaching where, you know, where, where, where you see that the Bible isn't really preached, you know, ask yourself like, like, is this, is this really where I, I need to, to be? And of course, yes, you know, I'm not saying that you have to just leave automatically, but you know, it's definitely something that you are to consider. Um, and I would say the first, first step to, to, you know, leading up to the church, obviously, um, I'm sorry, the first step I would encourage you to do for anyone. Right. And that counts for, for, for even the three of us here is to, to read the scriptures, study the scriptures and, and, and understand if, 
and no, if no, you should ask if what is being taught in the in the church you're attending does it go by the scriptures? Does it actually go by the word of God? Even if, even if they, even if they may quote a scripture here or there, right? Because a lot of people, you know, even false churches, you know, there's still some element where, yes, they'll stress the the Bible, but yet they'll use it as a launching pad to, 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 to their own teachings and doctrines, which is completely false. So it's definitely, um, it takes time, right? Because obviously none of us is, is perfect in our knowledge. You know, we're, we're all still learning and growing. But what I can definitely say, yeah, and even from my own personal experience, right? Of course, not to elevate subjective experience, but when I took the time to study the descriptions and read it in context, that's when I recognized, okay, you know, that's when I recognize in the context of, of preachings, like, you know, if what they're preaching is actually in accordance to the Bible. So, Point is this, you know, get back to the word of God and recognize that the Christian life is ultimately about but God and not ourselves. Right. So thank you once again, Myron, Amanda, for sharing your story. And, you know, may God continue to bless you and use you for his glory. Right. So that being said, thank you for listening to First Soul Podcast. Hope you enjoyed this episode, and I would encourage anybody who has not listened to the past episodes in this series to go to go back and and check them out. Uh, it is also on on YouTube, so you can definitely follow along, and be sure to follow the First Soul Podcast on social media and our listening platforms. And I also wanted to to share that I had recently started a new series on 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 Instagram where I covered uh, some Bible verses. Uh, the series is called Most Misused Verses in the Bible. And basically I take a, a scripture passage and I highlight how it's taken out of context while also showing how it's, how, what, what the biblical context is. And I would encourage you to, to do that, especially when I just, you know, just talked about, you know, getting back to the word of God and understanding the scriptures. It is imperative to understand, you know, what the scripture is saying versus, you know, how it's taken out of context. So I, I encourage you to do that. If you want to support the For Your Soul podcast, you can do so at anchor.fm slash for your soul slash support. And you could do a one-time payment or a monthly subscription. And in either case, it really helps the podcast going. And yeah, and that's pretty much the conclusion of today's episode. Once again, I hope you enjoyed it and stay tuned for the next episode of the For Your Soul podcast, a podcast for your soul. God bless you.